welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today, we are into A Storm of Swords, Aria 3, and we're going to be talking about the Brotherhood Without Banners. We're going to talk about Thoros of Mir, a lot of really good stuff. But the most important question always comes down to, Matt, how are you doing? Hey, man, I am doing good. You know, I'm a little sad about this episode, Jimmy. Why is that? Because uh, we have to say bye-bye to Hot Pie. Okay? Bye-bye, wow. Hot Pie. Bye-bye, little Hot Pie. Is that how it goes? Or it's a little Sebastian. Parks and Recreation reference for those oh, who yeah. have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. What the hell you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I haven't watched Parks and Rec in a long time. I should I should re That sounds like a good rewatch here. What I have to figure out what streaming platform it's on. Probably Peacock. I think it's on Peacock. And if there was one character from that show that would do well in Westeros, it would definitely be uh Ron Swanson. And I think that Ron oh, Swanson yeah. would be in the Brotherhood Without Banners. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or maybe among the free folk. Okay. Hey, maybe. Maybe you know, hey, we don't pay tax. They don't pay taxes up there. It's a little more so, libertarian. I would say that that Ron Swanson very well could be the Mance Raider. Well, I don't know if he'd really want to unite everyone too. He kind of just really he he'd want to be like not like Craster, but you know, yeah, there. maybe not as diabolical. As you that. know what I mean? But it's like I'm just out here by myself doing my own thing, you know. Who would Leslie Nope Left alone. be? Who would Leslie Nope be in A Song of Ice and Fire? Oh, that's a good question. She would. Hmm. That's a really good question, actually. A you know, Parks and Rec character swap. I don't know that there is one for Le for Leslie Nope. Yeah, she would. Odd, odd, oddly, if I had to pick somebody, it might be like the High Septon. You know, like oh. the High Sparrow. Because she's like so, you know, this is how we should be doing things. And she's okay. like so positive all the time. He is kind of positive all the time, even though, you know, he's crazy. But <laughs> he's, so, you know, she, he's so she, so she, so I, because everybody else is like, is, is too evil to be Leslie. No, I got you one. I, I know. And it's actually our chapter next week. Samuel Tarley, way aloof to a lot of the dangers around him. Uh, and and very lighthearted and believes in like the system. Like, well, you can't do that. And it's like Sam, everyone's breaking that rule. And he's like, how? <laughs> yeah, I, and like, too. I think Samuel Tarley might be my pick for the Leslie Nope of Westeros. <laughs> that yeah, that that could work too. That that would be probably the only other the only other option. Well, now her. that we've alienated. 90% of our listeners who haven't watched Parks and Recreation. You guys should watch it, though. It's a very good show. Oh, it's great. Parks okay. and Rec is great. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think it's better than The Office. Oh, definitely. That's heresy, only because, but I agree. Well, it's only because The Office is the last like half of the show is kind of mediocre. I stopped once, after like season three. Once Steve Carell is... Once know, Jim it, and it Pam got together, I was done. Well, that's... Season two. No, they don't get together in season two because then Jim goes to the Jim goes to the other office and meets uh what's her name who's also in Parks and Rec and then he comes back. And then they don't my goodness. Yeah, they don't like get together until like season four. No, it's earlier Five. than that. I think it's season three at, at, no. at latest. No, season really? season two, season two like ends with Jim leaving. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, I'll trust you because I haven't watched The Office in like 15 years. So I will trust you. But once that happened, I was like, oh, I got what I wanted out of this show. Because season two of The Office is really like season one. Because season one of The Office is only like six episodes and they're not very good. Mm -hmm. But that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of shows. A lot of shows season ones you can honestly write off. Thankfully, Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon are not in that camp. Yes, they came with it. They came with it and they I delivered. I kind of thought Wheel of Time might be, but I'm watching season two, and it's the biggest train wreck I've ever ever seen. That bad? It's dude. It is. It's awful. <laughs> I mean, it's it's terrible. It is. I love it is. It. it is awful. I, I was so hyped. I was. I was. Because I was like, man, you know, like I gave him a pass on season one, and actually, I enjoyed the first couple episodes. 
like episodes one through seven, then episode eight, they did it in a totally different direction, but they had like COVID shutdowns and one of their cast members left. And mm. I was kind of like, and people were messaging me like, Hey, are you going to bring back here with horn? Are you going to do some wheel of time content? And I was like, I'm going to, you know, give it a shot and see if I, if I like it. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just, it feels like it was so long ago and there was really no marketing behind it to kind of keep me interested throughout, you know, the process or like, like no news or anything. And, you know, now we have House of the Dragon because before we had just game, game of Thrones. So we didn't have House of the Dragon to keep me like more invested in that. And then it could also be a little fatigue of like The Witcher where that's like my other, you know, the other fantasy show. And it's kind of like on bad news because I was leaving. Yeah. So I didn't even watch season three of The Witcher. And I'm yeah. I felt like, like what was okay. the point? I kind of um, didn't you even know, watch I'm, it because I'm like, yeah, well, I see yeah, same thing. I'm not even not. There's no reason to be invested. I'm a bit of a hypocrite because like, I don't really care if things remain unfinished, which is probably why I do this podcast. Cause like, you know, George mm -hmm. could say tomorrow I'm not finished the books and I'd still reread these because I just love them so much. Uh, but there's something about knowing it's like, if this was the last season and it was just a cliffhanger, I'd still watch it. But the fact that I know it's going to continue afterwards without Cavill and then the showrunner saying that basically like audiences are too stupid to understand that, you know what I mean? It's just like, Ah, Gene Wolfe said in an interview that he believes that science fiction and fantasy readers uh, or enjoyers in general are a little brighter than like the average media consumer. And I couldn't agree more. Like we enjoy diving into these things and looking at alternative theories and timelines. Like we really get into the properties. Like we're really passionate about it and we don't mind to engage on a little bit of a deeper level. And I think there's really no better example of that than game of Thrones. Like think about how subtle some of the stuff in game of Thrones is as a TV show. I mean, like you yeah. haven't seen many creators of television shows in, in the last what, 20 years that have had that much faith in their audience to pick up on subtle things. Um, so to me, the Witcher showrunner saying that is just ridiculous and, and bad for business. And I didn't watch and they didn't and they didn't like Henry Cavill because he was too because he was too attached to invested. Source and honestly, I want to just real quick here. I want to talk about that for a second, because House of the Dragon kind of went in a, it. Honestly, it, it went closer to the source material. Than, mm. Game of, than Game of Thrones. Obviously, Game of Thrones, the first four seasons, very attached to the source material. Then, in some regards, they had to kind of go in their own direction because they didn't have the rest of the books, um, which is well, fine. But they still they still made decisions that are not connected to the source material that they did have source material for, like Lady Stoneheart and Dorn. Young Griff. And yeah, Dorn, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Dorn, they took one look at the ratings and had a knee-jerk reaction, like, uh, this isn't working. We need yeah. to scrap, scrap that. But like House of the Dragon went even closer to the source material than we thought. And I think more often than not, you end up winning, even if the source material isn't that great i still feel like it comes across better and you can let critics say whatever they want because like some critics are absolute jokes so like ign for example who is probably where i what i view the most you know there's other there's obviously rotten tomatoes and all these other things out there as well but like take uh cowboy bebop for example they said the problem with cowboy bebop was that it was too far away from the source material and then they just reviewed one piece and said it was too close to the source material. So yeah. you know, these, these critics, they don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> no, they, they certainly don't. Actually, if you want to look at critics, um, there was a lot of people in, a, uh, in the sphere that crapped on the first episode of Witcher as well. Entertainment Weekly literally lamb is like one of the worst shows ever. And I understand that it's not like the most beloved show of time. It's like a solid 7 out of 10, maybe for some 6 out of 10. But like... The the article they wrote about it was garbage, like utter garbage. Uh, and it was pretty clear that the critic had a problem with Henry Cavill uh, in general, yeah. just as a person. Uh, so I, I don't put too much stock when there's a general consensus. It generally drives me a little bit more towards maybe listening to what they have to say. Uh, but a lot of times I just wait for my own my own viewing experience. Right. And, and the, yeah. And that's not to say that you can't go away from the source material and have something be good in its own right. Like mm -hmm. season two of Witcher actually did go a little further away from the source. material, And I think I liked it more than season one, which was, which was closer. The, but season two, to be fair, 
took more inspiration from like blood of elves and stuff like that as you which is when yeah. the witcher gets away from short stories which was how season one felt so season one felt very disconnected Exotic. yeah yeah it just it didn't feel feel connected it's not that the individual episodes were bad or anything but it's just that structure but i feel like that's part of the problem with those two books the mm. first two the first two witcher books so yeah fidelity to the source material is not indicative of whether the show is good or not right as much as we we would like to think uh there could be good diversions from the source material for instance i mean tywin being at heron hall instead of bruce bolton is better uh, joffrey is a character who is way better in the show than because he's would, barely he's as is jamie lannister because like the show sometimes it messes with your well but there's there's a lot of jamie and joffrey both characters aren't really in the first few books well jamie, I would, do, jamie doesn't even really sh kind of sh show up more as a character until he's a pov but uh -huh. some of the scenes that they added that aren't even connected that aren't even there are pretty sweet like his conversation with robert baratheon oh yeah was really yeah. good his conversation with ned in the throne room was excellent mm -hmm. and i thought kind of getting him earlier was sweet and joffrey is way joffrey's barely in the books well it comes down to the uh me the medium in which they're telling the story right because uh we talked about when we saw jamie in this book in the storm of swords that we're reading through it is intentional that jamie is hidden from us to then flip what we've thought about Jamie breaking Ned Stark's leg with the whore, everything we hate him, you know, and then we get his POV and all of a sudden like, Oh, there's another side to this Kingslayer story. There's another side to Jamie Lannister that people don't talk about. There's some redeeming qualities to this attempted child murderer. So George is like purposely keeping that POV off. But in the show one, they have the foresight of like who Jamie actually is in the books because George changed Jamie's character drastically as he wrote the first three books because he was supposed to be the warden of the West. He was supposed to take the Iron Throne in the original uh, outline, which is crazy. Uh, but they they have the foresight and they don't have to stick to POVs. That's why we get the Robert and Cersei scene, which is fantastic. Uh, one of the best scenes in the show, in my opinion. And then you're right. The Barristan, Jamie and Robert scene is fantastic. And none of those become POVs uh, until later in the books, right? Uh, Barristan and, and Jamie. So TV shows can change from the source material just based on the fact that they're in a t totally different rule set uh, when it comes to right. like POVs. You have to, you have to, yeah, you have to show it differently. Yeah. So I think uh, when it comes to Wheel of Time, I know that it's they've awesome. departed largely from, from the source material and in some ways, maybe for good, some ways for not. But I think one thing that has frustrated viewers and I have not watched season two is that they feel like the departures don't really have a bigger purpose or they don't uh, necessarily flex the strengths of which visual mediums can have uh, over books. And, and that's just me from the hearsay. I haven't watched season two. I probably won't watch it. It's just not really my, uh, my kind of, it's not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the source material is very good either. So I, uh, I'm probably not the best person to, to watch the adaptation and judge it, but uh, it, it's weird. It's weird. Also when these shows were being announced and stuff, I don't think we really figured out how the dragon was going to be a for sure thing until later. And I think maybe some of the excitement that from general audiences, not the diehard wheel of time fans or the Witcher fans or whoever it might be. Once we see that Westeros, which is a proven property on television, is coming back and they're successful. Uh, maybe it feels like these other things aren't as important to make sure you're up to date with, possibly. Maybe that's a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, just one just one last little note about the, the Wheel of Time uh, season two. It, it, first of all, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it's just it's just it is just downright terrible. And I haven't really had a chance to say anything about it yet because I don't even want to make any more Wheel of Time content because it's so bad. That I'm just like, I have no desire to even finish or touch it. But it's it's like with that property, and this is something that, you know, when you're looking even at something like Game of Thrones, you're saying, what are we going to keep? What are we going to cut? Mm -hmm. House of the Dragon is, is, and honestly, most any other Game of Thrones property, unless they ever decide to remake the original, is in, I think, the fortunate scenario where you can play with the rules. Because you really just have outlines and yeah. these are big moments as opposed to something like they had to do with the main series. What do we keep? What do we cut? You know, the, even stuff early on, you know, a character that I was kind of disappointed got cut. But I feel like the way they did it ended up working well was like a Donald Noy. You cut out somebody yeah. like Donald Noy and you can have Tyrion fill that role. 
And I think that it did sort of also pay off later, even though it was in season seven and season eight, where it was Tyrion saying, oh, I know Jon Snow. Like yeah. I've, you can, you can remember that. So like, that's like, that's a okay sort of thing to kind of do. It did suck because Donald Noy is a cool character, but do you really I need to go it. cast? Do you need to go cast another character and have him fill all these roles? No, I feel like having Tyrion do it also can fill the purpose of lifting his character and showing him as wise, especially with somebody like Jon Snow, where they're both, you know, Tyrion's a, mm -hmm. you know, a dwarf. Jon Snow's a bastard. So you have like both these characters who have chips on their shoulders. I thought that was like a great way to do it. Um, but say with like Wheel of Time, like obviously it's 15 bucks. You're going to have to cut a lot, but pff, they're cut. I mean, they're, it's, it's like not even like they're just like, it's just, I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. Dude. It's like pure, like not even fan service. It's like pure, like it's like they're just trying to get, play to the critics, and just, I mean, they're just like over sexualizing like everything for the sheer sake of doing it. I mean, literally, they're just like the like op one of the opening scenes is like Lan like working out without a shirt on, and it's just because everyone was like, "Oh, Lan's hot," so like let's like have him do. It's like. Why you know? I mean, like, why are you like, like, literally? It's just like it's like Rafe Judkins, the showrunner, just goes to the comment thread and is like, "Well, this looks good. This looks good. This looks." Good. <laughs> and then everything they're doing, everything they're doing with Landfear is like so terrible. I mean, they just turned her into like a goth woman for the sheer sake of doing it because it's, I mean, it's almost he's like, it's almost like like her whole character. She wears this like white flowing dress, and he's like, you know what? Let's just make her goth. That'll show. That'll let everyone know that she's evil. She's it's like, evil. So it, yeah, it's, I could see it. It's it's uh, it's like, and they've at, like, and I get adding stuff to kind of like you need to tell a story, right? Mm. Like in Game of Thrones, you like giving Jorah Mormont grayscale. I think works in a lot of reasons. One, it, you could say, hey, that what they did with Young Griff there and. Uh, blanking on his name right now, uh, John Connington worked yeah. right, and so we could we could have him do it. And then it'll also fill in like the redemption arc of Jor Mormont. So like you can do that, but they're just like adding stuff to characters that has nothing to do with them for the sheer sake of I don't even know, like what they're doing with Perrin and stuff. Dude, it's 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 awful. <laughs> Maybe it, it's suffering from that season seven eight Game of Thrones spectacle for spectacle's sake you know yeah well that's what happens when you hire a survivor contestant not a survivor writer like a tv person a contestant to be your showrunner so hey, he worked for agents of shield okay <laughs> he did i will give I, he did do the uncharted movie and i actually kind of liked it never watched it uh didn't have much confidence in it if i'm being dead honest yeah i mean it wasn't like amazing or anything and but it was good so so uh what i can say is man ryan Kendall, i feel very good that you know we're in his yeah. hands yeah i mean there's no one else i'd rather run the show unless if george just took up all the responsibility which he's not going to do which by the way matt today as of recording this is george rr martin george railroad martin's 75th birthday so shout out to george happy birthday uh thanks for all the stories over the years i know he listens he's a really big fan of the show um you know mails us constantly telling us how smart we are and awesome and all right maybe that's never happened but still we want to extend uh you know happy birthday to the man uh the myth and the legend george r, r. martin is his middle name really railroad Hell no. <laughs> I don't know. He's all about him and he's always wearing his conductor hat. I mean, I he always has, he? he likes moats and he likes train tracks. That's what I know about George R. R. Martin. He loves tugboats as well. What dude. is like, what is his Let's look it up here. I think it's Richard Raymond Robert. Raymond Richard. I'll be honest, I made up Richard Robert, but I was kind of close. Well, yeah, I I like railroad more. J.R.R. R. Tolkien, George R. R. Martin, very uh very on the nose there, Germ. But uh, yeah, railroad is what I think it stands for personally. Well, I do know his uh, his his mom's last name is was like Brady before she got married. So I need to look into that. We could I could be related. And then maybe Tom's in that family tree. Maybe that too. Maybe we're all related. So yeah, I need to. That. 
I need I need to look into that. I mean, I could create a family reunion and start asking them some serious questions. <laughs> what is your moisturizer, Tom? No, I was I was talking more about Germ. I was just thinking about Tom Brady's brilliant smile, but yeah, yeah. I have more. I have way more to ask Germ than Tom Brady. He's retired. I mean, what are we going to ask him? You know, Germ's still over there working. Well, yeah, maybe he can go help out the Jets because George. Yeah, it's folks. Uh, George, I, I yeah. Any of you follow? Maybe I could. Maybe I could bridge the gap. I could get Tom to go back to the Jets, which would help Gurm out. Folks, we uh, we did an episode breaking down the correlation between the Jets and the Giants doing well, and George R. R. Martin being productive in writing. And there's definitely some sort of correlation there. And I got bad news. Uh, if New York football, New Jersey football, uh, is of any significance to george's productivity uh that's it we're never getting any more books ever because he hasn't he hasn't even updated his blog since august 31st it's a wrap it's it's not looking good there's a there's an aaron Rodgers size hole and wins a winner and any never getting filled <laughs> yeah jeez <laughs> uh, all right let's let's dive in here to today's episode so we are into aria three another kind of shorter chapter but there's still a good amount to break down from here especially when it comes to like what's going on in the riverlands the brotherhood without banners we get some of that kind of behind the scenes of the war uh and a lot of it's like hearsay which is always really cool and you can really always take a lot of those quotes and like just run wild with them so what we have here today is hot pie has decided to stay with Sharna as a baker at the end. The others depart for River Run, or so Tom tells Arya. Harwin tells Arya the tale of how they first rode out in search of Gregor Clegane and about how all the men and about all the men they lost when Gregor's men fell on them. Most of the 120 men from the original group are dead, including Lothar Mallory and Gladden Wild. It was a trap. Lord Tywin had planned for Eddard himself to ride out to deal with Gregor, but Jamie didn't know the plan didn't know of the plan when he attacked Ned in the streets of King's Landing. As Eddard's leg was broken, he had to send others out. Beric Dondarrion and his men learned a sharp lesson when the trap sprung. Dondarrion should have died, having been run through with a lance, but Thoros of Mir saved him. After Tywin became Hand of the King, the they became outlaws themselves, but they kept fighting in the name of King Robert. They hurried the forging parties and attacked the barrage train, the barrage, the excuse me, geez, and attacked the baggage trains of Tywin's armies and their brotherhood began to grow as many flocked to their cause, mostly commoners uprooted by the war. Later, when they met up with Greenbeard and learned that Jamie Lannister had escaped from River Run, when Arya discovers that they mean to bring her before Lord Beric rather than take her to River Run, she tries to ride off, but Harwin catches her. Her father's man is now a member of the Brotherhood without banners and answers only to Beric and Thoros, Lord of Light, the god of the god Relor. Yes, this is a uh, shorter chapter, like you said, but it is Arya's. For the first time in a long time, being Arya Stark for a chapter, because we ended the, her last chapter talking about, hey, I am Arya Stark. And she was no longer Weasel or or whatever other name that they ended up uh, <laughs> ended up giving her as she rode along in secrecy with Hot Pie and uh, Gendry. Uh, and we do say bye to Hot Pie, which is a bit sad. And you can see that Arya had been kind of mean to Hot Pie multiple times during the story, but uh, clearly has some form of attachment to her as well, which I think does make Arya. I, I like Arya as a character because even though she's a bit edgy and a little bit prickly, you do see her good nature from time to time, just like with Sansa being very snooty, but still thinks of Arya, even if it's subconsciously in a positive light at times as well. So I think uh, it's one of the things that kind of redeem Arya at some points, plus just the fact that she's went through so much as a character as well. Um, I want to interject real quick and just let everybody know next week is Samwell one. And we would love for people to reach out to us uh, as we're doing right now with Aria. We're going to go through the chapter. Then we're going to talk about maybe what other people have said about it. But we would like to hear what you, our listeners, think about these chapters as well and feature that at the end of our episode. So next week when we're going over Samwell one, if you read up ahead and you have some thoughts about the chapter theories or really anything at all, uh, you know, send us a Raven, send us a Raven, a BTK cast at gmail.com or bend the knee podcast.com uh, and let us know. And we will read your take on the chapter at the end of the episode, but let's get back to 
to this Arya chapter here. So my favorite thing about this chapter, Matt, is just how awesome the Brotherhood Without Banners is. Like we get a real yeah. representation of who they are, what their goal is, why are they doing what they're doing? And they stand for the small folk. And that is and so King Robert, King Robert, the original hand. Uh, this is this is a cause I can get behind. And I, I like this because I think it's also fairly realistic that especially with how wild things have gotten in Westeros and there's five king, there's all this stuff uh, that there would be someone that would want to represent the working class uh, in, in Westeros as well. So I, I love the Brotherhood Without Banners. I think it's also kind of underlined with a bit of not mystery per se, but a little bit of nuance in the fact that they are taking prisoners. Uh, unfortunately, one of them happens to be Arya here, and they do have their own motivations as well, which might not always align with the best case scenario for our characters that we do enjoy. So I think it makes them not just like do-gooders, white knights. Uh, there's a little bit of an undercurrent of something else there as well uh, in their own selfish motivations, but I like them quite a bit, and I love hearing anything about Thoros of Mir and Beric Dondarrion. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting about Beric, and we'll get to him. There's, there's, uh, like this is, like you said, this is kind of a short chapter, so there's not a ton to break down from it. But, mm -hmm. um, and I want to get your thoughts on here, Jimmy, about this. When they're talking about what's happened to Beric Dondarrion, mm -hmm. right? Do you think that all of the members of the Brotherhood Without Banners know that Thoros is actually resurrecting him? Or do you think some of it, or do you think it's possible that some just think, oh, he got injured? I think just like the reader in this chapter, we are probably doubting it a little bit and not, not looking ahead and knowing what we know. We're like, okay, so he removed, if you were thing. reading this for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. He removed the, a Lance, right? I think it says a Lance that was like two feet embedded into his chest or something like this. And he felt even better the next morning. And it's like, that might be something you say to someone to try to give them the will to live through such a devastating injury. Like you look better than ever Beric. Uh, but then you hear multiple accounts of him being cut down and this and that. And I imagine it's probably pretty split. I imagine the people who have vis uh, visually seen him come back from these things are believers. And then the other ones who have joined up and maybe not have seen it or only seen certain ones probably don't. And I think as readers, the first time through, we're also thinking that and doubting it because a lot of stuff in the series is interpreted as magic or something fantastical and it ends up being a little bit more mundane. However, I think it's pretty clear that there's something up with Thoros of Mir and something going on with Beric Dondarrion. And we know this because in Feast for Crows, we see Thoros say that he would not give the kiss to Lady Stoneheart when they found Catelyn. He did not want to do it. And then that's when Beric Dondarrion passed the flame of life to Catelyn's corpse instead. And the so-called Lady Stoneheart now leads the Brotherhood after Beric's passing. And this is actually going against Thoros's best wishes. And it, it's kind of put him in a weird spot where he's like, I didn't really agree to follow a zombie lady. Uh, this isn't exactly what we were after from the get go. So the brother without banners kind of changes over the next two, three books, which is really fascinating. And a lot of it has to do with the application of this, whatever this is, this fantastical element, whether it's religious based or it's blood magic based or whatever it might be. Um, it causes a change within the brotherhood. So I think as a first time reader, you look at this and you're probably doubting it, but little do we know that Beric Dondarrion is kind of unkillable. It seems. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, I'll, I'm going to read it right here too. I mean, uh, I saw the mountain slay Raymond Derry or Raymond Derry with a single blow. So terrible that it took Derry's arm off at the elbow and killed the horse beneath him. Glad and wild died there with him and Lord Mallory was ridden down and drowned. We had lions on every side and I thought I was doomed with the rest, but Alan shouted commands and restored order to our ranks. And those still a horse rallied around Thoros and we cut our way free six score. We'd been that morning by dark, no more than two scores were left. And Lord Beric was gravely wounded. Thoros drew a foot of lance from his chest that night and poured boiling wine into the hole it left. Every man, uh, every man of us was certain his lordship would be dead by daybreak, but Thoros prayed with him all night beside the fire, and when, and when dawn came, he was still alive and stronger than he'd been. It was a fortnight before he could mount a horse, but his courage kept us strong. He told us that our war had not ended at the Mummers Ford, but only begun there, and that every man of ours who'd fallen would be avenged tenfold. Uh, 
Uh, by then, the fighting had passed us on. The mountain's men were only in the van of Lord Tywin's host. They crossed the Red Fork in strength and swept up into the Riverlands, burning everything in their path. We were so few that we all we could do was hurry their hurry their rear, but we told each other we'd join up with King Robert when he marched west to crush Lord Tywin's rebellion. Only then we heard that Robert was dead and Lord Eddard as well, and Cersei Lannister's wealth had ascended the Iron Throne. They turned the whole world on its head. We'd been sent out by the king's hand to deal with outlaws, you see, but now we're the outlaws. Yeah. They uh, they were in an, a rock and a hard place, and I think that they wanted to try to do the just thing. And also, these people are out in in the land. like They're seeing what is happening. They've seen what the mountain has done. And they are saying this isn't right. The new people yeah. in charge are, are corrupt all along. I think it's also very telling in this chapter that I think it was Harwin. Uh, I might be wrong about this, but essentially um, they're talking about the uh, the six Winterfell men that remained of the 20 her father had sent with Beric Dondarrion. Har Harwin told her and they were scattered. It was a trap me lady. And then he talks about how the whole mountain thing going across the land and raising the farms and raiding and all this stuff was on purpose so that Ed Eddard Stark would ride out himself and then be captured or killed to trade for Tyrion. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Do you think, do you think it's true? Yeah, I probably do. Because mm -hmm. remember, Eddard, Ned Stark is still alive. He just got captured. Yes. So Tywin was already war. I, right. Yeah. Ty, Tywin was already planning, planning this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to amass troops and an army and everything. So that was already in the works when Catelyn captures Tyrion. Yes. But and... then, so, he, but then remember Tyrion shows up at the camp. So then mm -hmm. he's, he still, he still knows what's going on. So this is a really but good at that example. Point it's, but at that point it's Rob, he's fighting Rob. Yeah. So at this point in the story, Tyrion would have been captured and Rob hadn't went to war yet because Ed's Ned, Ed, Edard's alive. Right. So this is a really good example of Tywin not trusting his children and it coming back to bite him. If he would just let Jamie know, hey, this is the plan. Like, we're going to capture Eddard Stark, make a trade for Tyrion, and then try to patch this thing. I don't think he would have killed Eddard at this point in the story, actually. I think that would have been a really uh, bad move for the Lannisters because Tywin didn't want to go to war. I, I don't I don't think Tywin was like, I am really excited about going to war with the entire North. I don't think that was his plan. Well... I, that may have that may have been that honestly might have been a really stupid move to capture him or to kill him because well, I think killing that that, our, our, that raise yeah. that actually raises another question too. Did Tywin know that Cersei was going to kill Robert? Ooh, because you have to think about that for a second. For Tywin to say, "I want to capture Ned Stark, who is Hand of the King." Mm-hmm. At that time, and Robert is still alive at the, at that time, right? Tywin would be Tywin would be going against uh, directly against Robert and capturing Ned Stark. Mm -hmm. So, does did Tywin know that Cersei was planning on killing Robert? Because if Woo! that doesn't happen, then Robert's not going to be too happy because he will always side with Ned before he. I mean. Maybe not always, but I felt like he would have sided with Ned and been like even more furious about the whole mm. thing. I like what you're saying there because without the confirmation that Robert is not going to be king anymore, you're right. I mean, that's a move against the crown at that point. And right. Robert certainly, <laughs> certainly, because it all kind of uh, happens all at once. Yes, th these are a it's a domino effect. You move one piece out, it's not going to work. So I'm with you. Um, the only thing that make, gives me pause about Tywin knowing is the fact that they don't mention it in any of their conversations. That makes me pause a little bit because we get a lot of Cersei Tywin conversations post Robert's death and they never really mention it. At least not that I remember. I don't think there's any hints towards him knowing that. Um, also, I would argue that Tywin may possibly would not have wanted Robert dead. Like Robert dying wasn't really good for the realm, was it? And, and not to mention that his grandchildren were going to inherit the throne anyway. So there's no reason to really expedite um, Robert's death from Tywin's perspective, unless if he is worried about the incest coming out, which is definitely possible. There's a lot of angles to this. 
So I just want to make sure I, I knew this. I, I had I had this timing right. Yeah, because when Eddard does that, when he sits on the throne, mm -hmm. right? And Robert's away, yes. Robert's away hunting. Mm -hmm. So it's all kind of like happening at once. Hmm. I don't know, dude. I feel like maybe Tywin knew. There's a chance Cersei. he knew. There's a chance. Um and maybe he didn't explicitly know. Maybe it's one of those things where Varys maybe heard Cersei over time. You know what I mean? Like maybe Tywin had an agent somewhere and he knows. I don't know. I, I'm not right. sure. I'm not sure. What we because should really you do, we do to, get though, you do get. And again, this is another thing that's not in the books. It's in the show, and it's a great scene. Is Tywin talking to Jamie about like the name is what matters? Remember when he's cutting up yeah. the the oh, boar or whatever? Um, you know, we we uh, might be, um, but you, you get, yeah, but you get some of that. Some of that tone comes out more in, and we do you see it in the show as well. But you get it in the books, you get when when Tyrion's there, like he's sitting in on the council with Tyrion, and they're saying, "Here's what we're going to do." And Tyrion's like, "I've got my stone, my you know Moon Clan with me, and they'll help fight." Before that, before that battle comes up, so but you, he he does have some of that conversation with Tyrion. Yeah. Hmm. I don't so know. he is kind of talking about like the importance of the Lannister line. Yeah, certainly. It, but but I guess I guess my only thing is is like is I'm saying is there like a hidden agenda there? Well, maybe. But his kids were going to inherit the throne anyways, right? Like. Like Tommen or, or Joffrey, whoever it might have been, is in it. He, you know, he's half Lannister. Um, was well, Tywin aware of the he's, incest? He's, and, he's he's full. I I think he had to have been. I think he was. I think he knew what was going on. I don't know if he knew that the kids were. Lannister. I think he did. I think he did. You think? Yeah, I hundred percent think he did. Hmm. I think that's he never wanted man. to admit it. You know, he's really never in the books. That's that's another thing too. In the books, he's never really kind of challenged with that. No, like not. like that like that i mean still it's it's i mean still the character the book the book version of the character has to but he's now i don't i i can't i can't remember if he's directly challenged with that in the books i don't believe he is i don't think he is but i because be we don't get any like cersei chapters where Cer because in the in the show it's like cersei's like well you have to know what's going on he's like don't like speak of that yeah i yeah. feel because actually, there's that's another character who is way less prevalent actually in the books is Tywin. Actually, Tywin, yeah, him. yeah, he's more of a. I mean, Hearsay, he is an authority. Yeah, yeah he is a, an authority figure, and yeah, you know, you know what? This is very, this is very interesting to me. And we talked about this last week about just how important information spread and travel is is the key to this series and a lot of the drama behind it and this is a really good example of that yeah um okay real quick here before we before we move on here um so i just want to talk quickly about the brotherhood without banners because they're mm -hmm. out here by the way and they are <laughs> they're fighting the good fight for robert without knowing he's gone it's kind of like when you hear stories of like people who like i know there's one there's like a japanese guy who was like stranded on an island and thought that world war ii was going on for like years and years and years it's kind of like that right where it's like these people that are like they're because they're out there in the middle of like nowhere and they feel like the war is still it's not man war is not going on right but they're yeah. out there like <laughs> thinking that it is and they're living in another reality. I saw a really funny uh, uh, YouTube short. This guy, he does like different time periods in history. And they were doing like the 1800s. And he's like, my wife died three months ago. I can't believe how fast news travels these days. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like the three months. That's pretty quick. I mean, we see that with Daenerys as well being overseas. She doesn't learn Robert's dead till far after we do. Uh, and then also Rob's engagement. That, that's another thing that takes a long time to get back to Catelyn because she's locked into a castle uh, and he's been away at, at war. So, uh, yeah, the Brotherhood Without Banners for a good while there. We were fighting with the assumption that Robert was still alive. Yeah. OK, uh, real quick here. So as we move on to some of these next line. Right. So they're talking about uh you know what's going on here there's a whole world turned on its head we'd been set up at the king's hand to deal with the outlaws but you know you see we're the outlaws and lord tywin was now hand of the king there was something uh 
there was some wanted to yield then. Lord Beric wouldn't hear of it. We were still king's men, he said, and these were the king's people. The lions were savaging. If we could not fight for Robert, we would fight for them until every man was dead, or so we did. But as we fought, some, as we fought something queer happened. For every man we lost, two showed up to take mm. his place. A few were knights or squirrels of gentle birth, but most were common men, field hands and fiddlers and innkeepers, servants and shoemakers, even two septons. Many, all sorts, and women, too, children's dogs. Dogs, mm -hmm. said Arya. I, Harwin grinned. One of our lads kept the meanest dog you'd ever want to see. I wish I had a good mean dog, said Arya. A lion-killing dog. She'd had a dire wolf once, but she'd thrown rocks at her until she fled to keep the queen from killing her. Could a dire wolf kill a lion? she wondered so there's like an insane amount of breakdown uh just from like that one little thing obviously this is hinting so much at the hound because she will get a good mean dog here in a little bit when yeah. she gets, gets to travel with the hound a lion killing dog who is what the hound has become and then also kind of like you know then a little bit more of the who am i really she had a dire wolf once like she was once a dire wolf, but now she is kind of becoming her own thing. Right. And she goes on later, too. And I was trying to find it there at the beginning, um, but I can't. But I'm sure we'll, we'll get to it. But there's a part in here where she's talking about getting captured. She's like, well, they're only capturing me because I'm Arya Stark. Yes. This but chapter is very much about what that means for her. Yeah. Right. Like they did. They wouldn't capture me if I were, you know, Ari the boy or, you know, weasel, all the other weasel or all of these other names. I couldn't find that in the in, the, in my text, but um, it's in here somewhere. But again, so you have that as well. And then here also, again, challenging sort of her own identity with, you know, kind of like I was a dire wolf once. And then at one point she's rubbing the coin. And then another point she's thinking of what Sirio taught her, like calm as the calm as water. Mm -hmm. So it's still, she's still in this kind of transition period where she doesn't know exactly who she is or yes. who she's going to be. Yeah, definitely. And th this is chapter, you know, like I said, is the first time in a long time she's been Arya Stark to the people around her. And we very quickly realize that the, weight that comes with being a high born noble uh, daughter is not good, not good in this circumstance. And because of that, she is now a new pawn for another player to play with. And she, I think she quickly goes back to wishing that she was someone else. Uh, and I don't know if you can necessarily blame her. I mean, we get tugs from, like you said, Jack and Har, Syria, Pharrell, uh, the whole nine. And I think she would prefer to have been maybe away like Nymeria was. Uh, who she had driven away. She's probably a little bit thankful for that at some point too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then of course, obviously the big thing of the lion killing dog thinking I want, I wish I had a dog, not a wolf. Yep. Like, you know, I have, she does think about that too, but she wants specifically a, like a lion killing dog. And then also could a dire wolf kill a lion? That's yeah. kind of something to think too, which, and she's thinking about the queen too. Mm -hmm. If I had a wolf, or if I had a, it, so when she thinks here too, so she's like, I want to, it's kind of interesting. I want a lion killing dog and then thinks, is it possible actually for a wolf to kill a dog? But first she thinks I could have a, I could have a dog that could kill a, so like, that's kind of an interesting. Oh, it's definitely foreshadowing for the hunt. Right. But it's just kind of also an interesting play on words too, that she thinks more about a dog being able to do it instead of thinking that a wolf can do it. So she thinks she thinks at first about like, I want a dog that can kill a lion and then thinks, is it possible for a wolf to do so? So it's, it, it still is kind of in a way she, you, you see kind of how far away, how sort of how far removed she is from the wolf identity. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if a dog can kill a lion, you have to assume a dire wolf could kill a lion, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure a wolf could kill a lion in the first place. I mean, they're pretty a dire wolf. I mean, I'm not. Scary. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but hmm. I would say not. I would, you know, I'd, I'd, I think, I think there are. It, it's possible. I mean, I mean, it might be like 70, 30 lion but i i'm you know i don't count wolves out here's the thing if it's a pack of wolves it's a different story and yeah. Arya needs to find her pack again yeah i mean yeah. first of all i mean lions are pretty cool but 
the same time they're also like how are they the king of the jungle when <laughs> they live they live in like the desert you know they live in like the sahara and they don't live mm. in that's not the actual jungle the jungle is like jaguars and stuff i mean do i they think lions are a little i think lions are a little overrated so you're saying they're running for office but they're not living where they're running for office yeah I, yeah man <laughs> It's time to impeach lion. If you put a if you put a jaguar and a lion in the jungle, who's walking out? I'm saying the jaguar. That's its home turf. You think? Yes. Dude, lions are scary as hell, though. Have you ever watched a lion kill somebody? <laughs> this got dark no. real quick, but I've seen I've seen videos of lions mauling people, and it's like, bro, <laughs> like I have a cat, so I like to think of my cat as like a little version of that. And like the way that it plays with its stuffed flamingo is how a lion plays with a human. It's like horrific. But I mean, I'm not saying that a uh, jaguar or leopard or whatever couldn't also do the same thing. I don't know. We might have to have a battle royale. This turned into Animal Planet real quick. Well, you know, I'm just looking it up here. How big are dire wolves? Uh, they're ma- that's what I was gonna say. If, it, if we're talking about a dire wolf, a dire wolf is massive, like the size, well, like of you know, the the fan, like a fantasy dire wolf. I mean, those things, like you know, we yeah, they're here. literally like massive, yeah, yeah. But so says here the dire, you know, the dire wolves that did exist, they don't because they just find fossils of them. So obviously, these are ones that lived, but back then, like saber tooth tigers were pretty big and stuff, too. So Said the skull could reach up to 12 inches in length and its teeth were larger and more robust, obviously. In terms of body size, the dire wolf was on average the size of, lar- of like large gray wolves with shoulder height of 38 inches and a body of 69 inches. That's pretty freaking big. Yeah, pretty stacked. A dire wolf definitely could take a lion. I mean, it would definitely happen every now and then, I think. It's like when Vince Young beat the USC trojans it's like right yeah under the right, un- could he have done it again the, yeah under under the right circumstances and if there's a pack of them it's a wrap oh for sure yeah lions don't really hunt in packs do they not well i think it's just a couple i mean a couple lions is worth a lot like two or three lions walking down the road i'm running well i don't want anything to do with them any animals <laughs> I don't even like, like, I don't even go to the fair because, like, those, like, big, like, you ever see draft horses? Those things freak me out. Those, horses are, are intimidating, man. They're special. I don't like them. You don't like if, horses? Dude, if one of those things kicks you, you're dead. I don't like any animal that's larger than me, I'm out on. I, I so imagine. I don't know what kind of dog Arya's talking about here with a lion killing dog, but that's going to be a pretty big ass dog. Some would say it's a hound. Well, still. But, <laughs> all right let's let's continue let's continue so anyways uh they they uh, find out that yeah. jamie has been freed from river run uh yeah. and yeah this is pretty big deal uh again we're talking about information not getting around quick enough that happened towards the beginning of this book really at the end of clash of kings uh and Arya is just now figuring it out and whenever she hears kingslayer the hair on the back of her neck stands up she held her breath to listen and then they go through it kind of interesting tom of sevens is here who is getting in and out of river run later whenever it's occupied by lannister forces later and a feast for crows which is kind of neat but yeah they end up getting this and uh this information and it's it's a bit uh a bit of a doozy for everyone to to digest yeah ari is scared because they talk about how um you know, she feels the hair on her neck stand up when she's like, what? The Kingslayer has been been freed. Mm-hmm. Uh, could that be true? I would not believe it, said the one eyed man. Um, the other's outlaw called him Jack be lucky, but the losing an eye didn't seem very lucky to Arya. <laughs> I've had, um, you know, and so they say the wolves will drown in blood if the Kingslayer's loose again. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Things too. are worse than it appeared. Things have really yeah. drastically changed. Um, Arya and they end up singing. Uh, Tom is doing his thing, and then Arya falls asleep and has a dream that is of some importance to me. 
she dreamt of home, not River Run, but Winterfell. It was not a good dream, though. She was alone outside the castle, up to her knees in mud. She could see the gray walls ahead of her, but when she tried to reach the gates, every step seemed harder than the one before, and the castle faded before her until it looked more like smoke than granite, and there were wolves as well, gaunt gray shapes stalking through the trees all around her, their eyes shining. Whenever she looked at them, she remembered the taste of blood. So I think this has a ton, <laughs> a ton of foreshadowing here. Talking about the gray walls, maybe the gray joys, Theon Greyjoy taking Winterfell. And then and right after that, she thinks that it looked more like smoke than granite. We know Winterfell ends up getting burned to the ground. And then wolves, who you would imagine would be friendly, uh, look like gaunt gray shapes stalking through the trees all around her, their eyes shining. And whenever she looked at them, she remembered the taste of blood. I think this is foreshadowing the fact that uh, the wolves men or the Starks men, the Boltons are going to eventually uh, turn on them and come around them like a pack of wolves, which all gets capped off with Rob having his wolf's head tied to his body, which is pretty gruesome stuff. Yeah, and I think if you go back to that line we were talking about just before, like that they would the wolves will drown in their own blood if the Kingslayer is loose again. I feel like that is actually kind of like a little foreshadowing yeah. to what happens to yep. Catelyn, where she is thrown into the river, and you know, and yeah. you could argue in some way she does drown in her own blood because her throat slit. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, foreshadowing in this chapter for sure. I mean, from the Hound's perspective to Lady Catelyn. Um, also setting up the fact that Lady Stoneheart can happen by, you know, Beric Dondarrion and how he's been resurrected. But Arya's dream is very ominous and unfortunately very applicable to the future she's about to experience. Yeah. And so uh, just a little bit further here. So they're so they're going right. And she's she sees the way they're going and she's thinking we're going the wrong way. Henry mm -hmm. Bone, what is it? Moss again? Look at the sun. She said, we're going south. Arya rummage in her saddlebag for the map so she could show them. We should have never left the Trident. See, um, she unrolled the map on her leg and all of them were looking at her now. See, there's River Run between the rivers. As it happens, said Jack Be Lucky, we know where River Run is. Um, you're not going to River Run, Lem told her. And she thinks, I was almost there, Arya thought. No. I should have. And it's so bad because then she does get there. She actually, she gets there and it's like, oh, no, no, this isn't where you want to be. I mean, it's you know, There's something bad. like that builds dread and anticipate like stress in me when I read this stuff. Um, have you ever been on a trip and like you've been driving for like 30 minutes after you took an exit to like go pee or pick up some food? And then all of a sudden you're like, I think we're going the wrong way. And when someone says that, you think about all the time you've wasted and how further you are from your destination. Uh, and in this term, it would be safety. Like, I don't know why, but this like builds stress in me as a reader, especially because she mentions it earlier in the chapter about the moss. And then gets confirmation with the with the son following that. And you're like, no, she was right all along. And it's just like, oh, why didn't anyone listen to her? Like, I know. Ugh. Ugh. I feel so bad. I know. Well, that's that's honestly a, a big part of Arya's story. I mean, she can see her dad mm -hmm. get beheaded, but she's too far away. There's nothing, you know, like there's nothing she can do. She almost feels like somebody who's like she's just reaching, constantly reaching. And, and never it's just in like, control and, her own destiny. Can never, yeah, can never grab it. She's always like so one of the people who's like she's always so close, but she just can't can't grab it, you know. Yeah, and and ultimately Arya's story becomes one about her empowering herself and making a, her own decisions. And the coin that she's rubbing in her pocket represents the future that she will eventually take hold for herself and the skills that she'll also acquire. So, I mean, Arya's story is about a child in medieval fantasy world that has absolutely zero say of what happens to her truly um the only decision she's made thus far which has probably felt pretty liberating even though it's damaging to her is that she killed someone and she yeah. killed again at harrenhal to escape and it seems like the only freedom she's ever had or choice really agency is has been through taking other people's lives it's a pretty traumatic thing to put a nine-year-old through <laughs> right yeah, I mean, even, you know, you can go back I and mean, when she's training with Syria, she's finally got something she likes. That's right. But, but it's taken from her. Yeah, the wolf. She had the wolf. It was taken from her. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that's one of the things. So from her, it's everything she wants is taken from her. So now it's time for her to start taking from others. 
Yes, she wants to be in control of her life and where she can go, where she can't go. And, uh, you know, eventually her taking the ship to yeah. Bravos is exactly that decision. Yeah. Rough. See, that's why that's why not that I want to go do a super deep, uh, deep dive into this. But like I was fine with Arya being the one to kill the Night King in the show. Yeah, that's and like I my was... hottest take from season eight is that I actually didn't necessarily mind it that much. I you know I didn't like how quickly it happened, where it just feels like Melisandre showed up and then she because yeah. she did have that conversation with Arya, um, and it felt like Arya should have been the one foreshadowed to do it the whole time. With that, we know that the the, the worst part is that their justification for it was just was not just, good enough, and it was simply right. because we didn't want Jon Snow to have too many moments, right? Which is so, so, which is stupid. Subversion right. for subversion's sake is garbage. That that's, but. But if it's if it ends up being Arya to be the one to kill, say, Euron Greyjoy or whoever the big final villain yeah. is yeah. is going to be, it's like, well, she's been training for this her entire time. Yeah. She trains at a sword fight. She trains with the Hound. She trains. I mean, regardless, George is building her for some epic moment where she's going to have a fight against somebody. Yes, and it's gonna it's gonna be pretty sweet. I'm imagining. Yeah, and also that, just her abilities in general are very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about all the training she's got. I mean, but she's going to be, I mean, in Winds of Winter or A Dream for Spring, Arya is going to do something that's going to be freaking sweet because she's going to have. Yeah. I mean, you could almost argue that Arya, by the end of the series, might be like the most powerful fighter mm -hmm. ever. It's also George's wife's favorite character. Uh, right. She made him promise not to kill her off too soon. So there, there, there is, there is that going. I mean, well. yeah, I mean, I mean, you think about it. I mean, by the end of this thing, in all seriousness, I know we often think like Arthur Dane and stuff like that, and but by the end of this, Arya might be like number one, and she might be I, like OP compared to everybody else. She's a faceless man or a faceless girl or woman at this point. Like right. faceless men are like, right. I mean, there she it. has. She doesn't have a Valyrian steel sword, but she has a, like a special sword. So that's mm -hmm. that's really good. She's trained with Ciro Pharrell, who's like who was one of the top, you know, just class swordsmen that existed. And then, you know, all that just learning from the hound to learn. I mean, you know, I'm sure he taught her about fighting and everything. That's why actually another scene that I thought was kind of cool in the show was the Arya versus Brienne of Tarth scene. It was just a cool little fight scene. And that could mm -hmm. still happen. She could have a fight like that with somebody. And then, yeah, if she gets that Valyrian steel dagger at the end, she could still get that Valyrian steel dagger. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be, then she's got, it could be pretty sweet. Yeah, and not to harp on the show, but one of the biggest issues was that they stripped fantastical elements out of the show, but kept in Arya's and then didn't know how to handle it in the final season because right. uh, pretty much everything with Danny could have been handled by Arya very Right. easily and and, and actually maybe even avoided a lot of the confrontation because she could share faces right Cersei and been killed. and to I be mean, fair like the, the her running at like super fast speed or something where she just like sneaks by the white walkers without them like not noticing anything like that was like a power that was given on the fly like mm -hmm. she'd never done anything like that and she just suddenly could like you know that was never explained she like into a being a yeah, like being a faceless man means you put on somebody else's face and you're now kind of like in disguise. It doesn't mean you're invisible. That's right. And it's, it's also you a know, really I, like that's the thing. Like I, what I had expected to happen in season eight was I expected her to wear Jamie's face and kill Cersei, therefore Cersei. doing the Valonqar prophecy in a weird way, which is what George is known for is taking like prophecies uh, and kind of subverting them a bit, but still like technically fulfilling them. So I thought Arya wearing Jamie's face possibly would be her taking uh, Cersei's life, fulfilling that or whatever. Else. You know, I know that there's the the prettier queen. Who knows? Maybe Arya will be queen. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here she tries actually to to do some of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um says Arya took a breath to still her soul this is when she's trying to escape calm and still as water she glanced at the outlaws on the horses and turned her horse's head now as quick as a snake she thought as she slammed her heels into the courser's flank right between Greenbeard and Jack B. Lucky she flew and caught one glimpse of Gendry's startled face as his mare moved out of the way and then she th uh, was in the open field and running north or south east or west that east or west that made no uh 
that made no matter now. She could find the way to River Run later once she'd lost them. Arya leaned forward in the saddle and urged the horse to gallop. Behind her, the outlaws were cursing and shouting at her to come back. She she shut her ears to the calls, but when she glanced back over her shoulders, four of them were coming after her. Angai and Harwin, Greenbeard racing side by side with Lem further back, his big yellow cloak flapping behind him as he rode. Swift as a deer, she told her mount, run, now run. And then ultimately... Uh, you know, she, she ends up getting she ends up getting captured. Yes. And her Bruce Lee mindset does not work, uh, unfortunately for mm -hmm. her. Uh, and it just ends up not going uh, great, which is sad. Uh, basically, I, you, I think you can tell right from the get go that this is not going to work out for her. Uh, and it's also sad because I feel like Harwin was her feeling safe enough to come out as Arya Stark and then realizing that using that information that Harwin is now holding her captive. Uh, it's it's a heartbreaking betrayal in a lot of ways, even if I think she can kind of understand why Harwin's doing what he's doing. It's just sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then one line I want to pull out here is just so it just goes on and she's just running um, and it just sort of gets more frantic and frantic. It almost sounds like a dream, really. You know, like, how big are these woods? She's racing. I need to find the fields again. I need to find a road. Instead, she found a game trail. You could almost argue that right there is Arya's entire story. I need to find this, but instead she finds something else. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it continues on. There's one little, more little line here. As she's running, she's running through like bushes and things like that. Thorns scratched her face li like the cats she used to chase in King's Landing, which tiny cat little... Cat by the canals. Cat by the canals. That will come back in too. So that's... that's uh, Then she, you know, again, no, she thought he can't, not him. It isn't fair when Harwin is gaining on her. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it shows that the uh, the landscape has changed drastically uh, in her first day back or a few days back of being Arya Stark officially uh, didn't go so well. It, it's very similar to Sansa, right? Sansa is now being treated well uh, and being treated of a lady of, of higher class at the uh, at the palace just in the chapter prior. And by the end of it, she realizes that she's just a pawn and Arya is also a pawn. Yeah. Uh, and then it sort of finishes up here with that line. I was uh, thinking uh, I was trying to, I talked about earlier. Um, yes. Uh, can you, this is Harwin talking about, uh, you know, we're, we, we mean your brother Rob, no ill milady, but that's not him. We fight for, he has an army of his own and many a great Lord to bend the knee. The small folk only have us. He gave her a searching look. Can you understand what I'm telling you? Yes. That he was not Rob's man. She understood well enough and that she was his captive. I could have stayed with hot pie. We could have even taken the little boat and sailed up to river run. She had been better off as squab. No one would take squab captive or Nan or weasel or Ari, the orphan boy. I was a wolf. She thought, but now I'm just some stupid little lady again. So she even kind of disassociates being like a lady with being a wolf. Like she yeah. kind of, you know, disconnects those two. Yeah. And in some ways she lost a piece of her pack too. Like her new pack. Hot pie's gone. Right. He's gone, man. Yeah. Poor, poor Aria. And it's not going to get much better for her in this, in this book. Yeah. Um, she says, I'll ride peacefully for now. For now. Still keeping that vengeance in the back of her mind. Yeah. So uh, any final thoughts about this uh, chapter here, Jimmy? No, great chapter. Uh, love Arya. Uh, very much so. Love the Brotherhood Without Banners. Love getting their explanation. And Thoros of uh, Mir, who we will see shortly, uh, is one of my favorite side characters in the series. And I love uh, his kind of moral dilemma he comes into once Lady Stoneheart enters the picture. Uh, towards the end of this book and then we see him again at these for crows so uh good stuff very very good stuff but next week i'm more excited because it's my one of my favorite characters which is samwell and i think samwell chapters are so much better than people give him credit for and uh i'm i'm thrilled to be with the leslie nope of uh westeros once again next week yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next. So, yeah. Next time we will be into Samuel one, as you said, beginning to get a new perspective of things up there at the wall and the north, mm -hmm. right? The true north beyond the wall as well with the free folk as we, yeah. you know, we're we're pushing that here. The wildlings, is, it's a derogatory term. That's right. No more. And, I, and I'm sick of it. So the free folk, okay? the free folk. Yeah, so we will be yeah, we will be with Samwell, and it's also it's a new uh, POV character. We haven't had a new POV character since Jamie 
Um, but now we are getting a new, a new POV. So a new perspective. Yeah. And very important one because we haven't been seeing what's going on at the wall, uh, because John has, you know, went so far North and joined the free folk. So very important. And I love Sam as a character. I think he's a lot more important than people get him credit for. And definitely a POV that I'm happy that was included. Yeah, absolutely. So as we said, we want to thank you guys for playing our Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing a Storm of Swords Samwell one. So as we said earlier, if you guys want to send us ravens like over this weekend or whatever about like your thoughts about that chapter, we'll try to get them included into the show next week. So uh, if you guys read ahead and have a thought about it, shoot us an email and uh, then we can get that included. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we usually record on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, depending on the schedule. So as long as you get in and before then, uh, we would be able to include it in the episode. And also, if you have any thoughts about the Aria chapter, uh, you know, include those as well. We can kick off our next episode with some, uh, you know, some uh, reprisals, uh, I guess, of, of maybe things we got wrong uh, or whatnot. But yeah, we would love to hear more from you. And if you end up liking the podcast and you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review or leave a comment or send us a raven about anything at btkcast at gmail.com or bendtheneepodcast.com. Yeah, those are great places to tell us that there's no way in hell a lion would lose to a wolf. If, exactly. you know, right or a jaguar so exactly. <laughs> with that we will see you next time and remember that winter is coming <laughs>